If your mind gets distracted a hundred times in 10 minutes of prayer, it's a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus. I used to think that to be distracted in prayer meant I was a bad Christian. It turns out, distractions means I'm a human being. Hey friends, welcome to Live No Lies, a one-off podcast series I'm releasing along with my most recent book, where I just sit down with Christian thought leaders and just kind of poke around their brain and their heart and their story and suss out what's behind it all. What are they thinking about? What questions are they asking and what answers are they coming up with? I can't wait to get into today's episode. First, great news, the book Live No Lies is officially out as of yesterday. It's out into the wild, available wherever books are sold. Pick up a copy if you want. Today on episode three, I sit down with Rich Viodas, a friend of mine and one of my favorite kind of peers, contemporary teachers of the way of Jesus. Rich is the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship in Queens in New York City. Fun fact for those of you that follow Pete Scazzaro or Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that whole world. And if you don't know, you're welcome. Rich took over for Pete a number of years ago as the lead pastor of the church that Pete founded. So he's just swimming in that stream of emotionally healthy spirituality. He himself is the author of a great book, one of the best books I've read in years on spiritual formation. It's called The Deeply Formed Life, and you can pick it up anywhere as well. But Rich is just humble and down to earth and kind, but he's also very well read and very thoughtful. You'll hear this in the interview. He's just put a lot of thought and a lot of deep thought into his view of the world. I can't wait to get into this with you. Before we jump in though, I just want to say a thank you to our partners at World Vision who made this entire podcast possible. World Vision is doing a lot of great things around the world, but one of the things they are working on right now is a new resource called Soul Care Prayer Rhythms for pastors and spiritual leaders in the Christian tradition. The last year or two has just been brutal on the soul, and a lot of leaders are feeling worn down, burned out, anxious about the future. How do we ground ourselves in prayer and through that ground ourselves in God and in community with one another? Well, World Vision has come up with this great resource. There's teaching from Danielle Strickland, who is a great teacher and thinker and leader, as well as practices and resources that you can draw on. If you want to check out what World Vision is up to, follow the link in our show notes. Okay, here's my conversation with Rich. Rich, great to see you. Thank you for having this conversation with me and all of our listeners. Tell us, let's just jump right in. Tell us about a little bit about the church you pastor, the cultural context you're in. You're in New York, but you're in Queens. You're in a very diverse, as I understand it, like very diverse part of the world, not just New York City, not just Queens. So tell us a little bit about uh, what that's like, what's the, the leading mm. through the last couple of years has been tricky, no matter where you are, yeah. and you're not leading a homogenous group of people. Tell us a little bit about the landscape of your church and kind of the context you're in. Yeah, yeah. I'm a native New Yorker, so uh, lived in New York my entire life in Brooklyn, a part of Brooklyn that's not 
the new Brooklyn. It's yeah, from East New York. Not the Brooklyn. Instagram <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> not the Instagram. Not Brooklyn. the like expensive coffee. <laughs> no, and, no, yeah, this is Bo- Brooklyn. Bodega Brooklyn. This yeah. is what that's what you call it. You know, it's the <laughs> Bodega little, Brooklyn. Bodega Brooklyn, the uh, corner store. Yes, where uh, where the cat is always sleeping on the bread and things like that. That's where I'm from, and so um, so Queens is much different than even Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, I've lived in Queens the last eight years, 34 years in, in Brooklyn. And uh, where New Life is, it's what National Geographic called the most diverse zip code in the world. Wow. Uh, 50% of Queens residents are foreign born. Um, 75 nations represented in our congregation. Uh, 123 languages spoken in the neighborhood. Uh, to, to take out, like to go to the ATM, take out $20. There's about 15 to 20 language options on the screen wow. to, to take out $20. So it takes you forever to find English. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It takes me forever to find English. Uh, but, uh, and and it, it's an immigrant community. So New Life Fellowship is not just diverse in its, uh, you know, ethnicities. I mean, folks are coming from all over the world uh, into this place. And we're starting our 35th year, um, you know, September. As a church. As a church. And you've been there, year. what, 14? I've been 14? here, for, I'm starting my 14th year. Yep. Uh, and my ninth year as the lead pastor. So, uh, so a, a beautiful place. But because of our diversity across ethnic lines, uh, socioeconomic lines, generational lines, ideological lines, it's very complicated. Yeah, which sounds <laughs> utopian and beautiful, but I'm guessing it's actually really messy on the ground. It's incredibly messy. And one of the ways I've tried to explain the complexity of it is anytime the 4th of July comes around, there are four kind of profiles of new lifers that come to the surface that expresses how difficult it is to live in this particular space. And so at New Life, you have four general profiles. And I'm painting with a broad brush here. Right. We have the conservative that finds very little wrong with this country. And uh, that's where they're at. You have the progressive that finds very little right with this country. <laughs> uh, then we have the grateful immigrant mm. who ideologically, socially, politically, often aligns with the conservative, but from a totally different narrative. Right. And the story is, I came from country X, which was not good for my family, not good for me. We should be so grateful yeah. that we're here. It's bad here, but you have no idea you how bad it was no where we come from. Yeah. So which I'm saying, we're not here, we're not here to compare country to country. We're here to compare ourselves to ourselves here and, and yeah. what our, our ideals are and what the reality of that. And then the fourth person is just that you know, can we just preach the gospel and indifferent? The kind of apolitical. apolitical. Let's not talk about politics. Not at all. Let's just focus on Jesus. So you get those four groups of people, roughly speaking, in the community. And which I imagine those four are kind of in all churches, but especially there is a, right. There is a depth. There is an intensity. Uh, I see it on social media way too much, especially on Facebook. Uh, Do you ever have that experience as a pastor? This is TMI, but. Where like you love your church and then you see a, 
you go on social media and see what they're saying on the internet, you're like, oh man, I was like, my church is nowhere close to as as mature as I thought. Did you we hear were. my sermon? You know, <laughs> have you not been listening to me for ten years? Or oh, I don't mean that in a pretentious way. Yeah, but, yeah, man. but but that's that's our context, and uh, and I would also, I mean, the other dynamic too, we're at, we're in Central Queens, which is the the poorest area of uh, in Elmhurst, the poorest areas of Central Queens. So there's also that reality to it as well. So our poverty is very hidden and that yeah. you're not going to see abandoned buildings. Um, you're you're going to find it in multiple families living in one, under one roof. Right. And so, uh, but that's kind of the landscape of New Life Fellowship in Queens. Wow, beautiful. Now, okay, no matter where you are, whether you're in a really diverse place like Queens or a uh, far left politically homogenous place like Portland. So I, I have almost a different problem mm-hmm. where we have those four groups of people, but it's almost all in the progressives who don't think yeah. anything right with the country, however, <laughs> however you said it. And, and Portland's a unique place because it's far left politically, ideologically, but it's also the arguably the whitest city in America, mm-hmm. which makes it very ideological. Yeah. And it's kind of in the Twitter kind of space more than in the relational space, um, which is interesting. That's another conversation. But wherever you are, whether you're in Portland or you're in Queens or you're in some nice small town in middle America where everybody's kind of happy and fine, or maybe, I don't know, that's probably a myth in my mind. That's what small towns are like. Um, It's been a tricky year or two or Mm -hmm. four to pastor, trying to hold people together as our nation is fragmenting across the left-right binary, across urban, suburban, rural, across, you know, mm-hmm. internet conspiracies on both sides, like fragmenting at so many pieces. Yeah. Um, what are the major challenges that you face in kind of holding your people, not just together, but together around Jesus and the way of Jesus? You have this framework that I think part of your next book is going to dive into yeah. of CPR, right? You want to yeah, you know, walk I was, us through that? The, the whole CPR, I, I was thinking about the unique moment we're in and the convergence of so many different forces that are wreaking havoc in our communities, in our individual lives. And somehow I was thinking, wow, we have a pandemic. We have political idolatry, racial hostility and injustice. And as I'm just writing it out, it kind of just spelled out kind of CPR, COVID, political, idolatry. <laughs> it's like an accidental racial. acronym. <laughs> hey, no wonder I can't breathe and my heart is ailing. It's this CPR. Yeah. I need CPR. So, um, so COVID. COVID. Political idolatry. Yeah, political yeah. idolatry. Parse that out for us. And, and, and so here we are, COVID-19. I mean, yes. our, our world has been so disrupted, disoriented. Yes. You don't make it in three minutes into any conversation without... COVID. Without, I mean, we are looking, who's masked, who, who's not, who's, I mean, where are we standing? I mean, it's across the board. Um, uh, political idolatry. I mean, there's been a level of political enmeshment, which is another way of thinking of it, yep. um, that has taken over the church, taken over the country at large. On both sides. On both sides. And uh, the level of enmeshment, if I can just, I mean, this is how I tend to think about. Are you using enmeshment in like the the psychological? In the sense psychological of that word? diffusion. Uh, yeah, tease that out. Yeah, diffusion. So so here's what happens, and what I've discovered: pastoring. There is this domino effect of political enmeshment, this fusion where I cannot I cannot tell where one person ends and begins, and where the next person ends and begins, and I'm so fused you can't tell the difference. Or where one person ends mm-hmm. and a 
Democrat or Republican or yeah. this ideology Absolutely. or that slogan yes. begins. And so here's the domino effect. You know, to critique a political leader is to critique the party that you belong to. Mm -hmm. And to critique the party that you belong to is to critique the particular uh, values that make up that party. And to critique your particular values that make up that party is to critique um, the way you read the Bible. And the way to, to critique the way you read the Bible is to critique your conception of God. And to critique your conception of God is to critique you at your deeper center. And wow. so, so when someone critiques a political leader and they get so triggered. It's touching on. It's like on... you're touching on my very conception of God. That's, that's the level, the it's domino the deepest effect. part of who I am. And so. And to, you can't reason with that. At all. It's, it's like, you know, it's, I rarely touch on politics, likely to a fault. That would likely be a good critique of my mm -hmm. pastoring and preaching. But every once in a while, just almost in passing, I will say something less than positive about the former president of the United States. Sure. And it's bizarre how some people will instantly kind yeah. of wallop and say something like, so what, you believe in the killing of babies? Right, right. And I don't have a I don't have a rational framework <laughs> for that. I mean, that's not like one jump. That feels like twenty nine jumps, you know. Right. But that I think that's just at that point you're triggering, and it's not like a rational. So you believe in it. It's like an emotional reaction. Yeah. Yes. So you're somehow that person is linked up in this whole other worldview system thing, and somehow that system is that's actually. Right enmeshed yes, right. in a person's identity, their sense of self-worth, their sense of who they are, who they aren't, meaning, purpose, mm -hmm. morality, mm -hmm. righteousness, wickedness. Yes. My, the, the, me and my deepest center and the way I understand everything. Wow. <laughs> Which is supposed to be in Christ. And, yes. In Christ alone here. And uh, we sing it, you know? <laughs> we but, sing the song. Yeah. Uh, but the lack and, of discernment and, in this And I feel area. like this is a loving pastoral critique that cuts across partisan lines. Absolutely. You know, so there's a right version of this, and I'm in Portland. There is 110% a left yeah. version of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so we have COVID, we have this political idolatry, political enmeshment, enmeshment whatever you want to use. Yep. And then we have this racial hostility, this racial, which is obviously not new. Right. Um, but there is a intensification of it because of social media, because of the stories that we're seeing, because of the body cameras, mm -hmm. um, because everyone has a platform to say something, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Multi-generational trauma that's never really been dealt with by our nation. So we have the convergence of all these three things and then, okay, let's, how do we figure out a way to remain connected? It's not gonna happen without the kind of spiritual and emotional maturity to withstand these forces. Okay, so let's go into that now. This conversation could go down so many different pathways, and there's so many questions about culture I could ask mm -hmm. you, or politics I could ask you. But what I would love to kind of push into is you come from a church that was literally the birthplace of emotionally healthy spirituality, yeah. reading the kind of original book in that series, The Emotionally Healthy Church, forever ago. Mm -hmm was like a turning point in my life. Yeah. And uh, the impact of your community and the founder of your community, Pete Scazzaro, and you and the ethos of your church has a, had a ripple effect on a whole mm. lot of other churches, including my own. And so you're this interesting, you're this like Puerto Rican, intellectual, culturally aware pastor 
but you have a deep heart for formation, mm. emotional health, the inner life, contemplative prayer. So talk to us about, I want to press in, I guess, to some of the connections between CPR, yeah. you know, <laughs> all of that, the issues that we deal with at a personal level or a pastoral level and um, emotionally healthy spirituality. So maybe just for those that are new to this concept and there's books out there, but h- how would you define emotionally healthy spirituality? Just give us kind of a synopsis of that vein of the church, that value system. Yeah, my predecessor, Pete Scazzaro, uh, spent a lot of time and continues to cultivating this idea. And it's really, it's the convergence, another word here, of the contemplative life and emotional health. Yeah. And fusing that into, with a theological background, so this is not just speaking in psychological terms, I'm yep. thinking very theologically, thinking about the history of the church, but it's really at the core, how do you hold together a life that slows down contemplatively and a life that um, uh, takes inventory of what's happening in my soul? And so the way I say it is, uh, it's me paying attention to my, my inner space and my outer pace. That's how I try to explain what emotionally healthy spirituality is. I'm looking within and I'm looking at the various rhythms that make mm-hmm. up my life. And so pace of your life. The pace of my life and the inner space of my own soul. Um, so that's at, at its core, that's emotionally healthy spirituality. Yeah. Um, talk to us about pace of life. Mm-hmm. I'm a biased source here. So no right or wrong answer. Just why is that important? And what does that have to do with following Jesus, much less with culture and justice and all the other things? You know, the pace of life, I think it, it's, it's rooted in the nature of God, isn't it? Just to talk about pace, my mind theologically and biblically goes right to Sabbath. A, a different kind of rhythm, a different kind of pace. And the notion of Sabbath, this literal 24-hour period without have-tos or shoulds or anxiety, which over time is to result in deep rest and renewal. Hmm. Um, not like a metaphorical period, an allegorical, like a literal 24-hour yeah. period. Where a literal stopping. Sabbath. <laughs> so many people want to spiritualize it. Oh, yeah. I mean spiritualizing the negative sense of that word. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I'm not striving yeah. to earn my salvation. I'm like, okay, right, right. don't do that either. Right. But that's not Sabbath. <laughs> no, no, no. Like a literal Stopping, ceasing. Yes. The word literally means to stop. <laughs> to cease, to take a break, as I think Eugene Peterson translated that way. Uh, but it's, I, I can't think about pace without thinking about Sabbath. And the Sabbath, you know, there's, there's two grounds really out of which we, we keep Sabbath, biblically. One is imitation, the other is liberation. Hmm. Imitation, this is Exodus 20. Yep. It's God did it. Therefore, God did it, so I'm going to do it. He rested on the seventh day. God rested. I made in his image. God rested. I rest. Imitation. And then there's Deuteronomy 5, where a new generation is about to enter the promised land. The law is given another time, but with a different context. It's not imitation. It's you were once slaves. You're no longer slaves anymore. And so the pace of life. How do you stay free? How do you live free from the tyranny of this nonstop work? Yeah. Um, that's what's, I think, really behind the pace of what we're invited into. And I think Sabbath is probably the best way to root us in a different kind of pace. How does Sabbath inform uh, the way that you as a pastor in your church is navigating COVID and political enmeshment and racial hostility? How does it inform 
Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't think about keeping Sabbath without at the same time quoting Colossians 1.17. Okay. Jesus Christ is before all things, and in him, all, all things, things hold, to, hold together. Yeah. So he's holding it all together. The Sabbath says, you don't have to. Yes. <laughs> he's doing it. It's right? like a weekly <laughs> reminder that you are not God. That's Ex exactly right. Because you, I turn off my phone, I don't do anything with the church, and guess what? The world gets on just fine without me. Mar Marjorie Thompson, wonderful writer, she said, Sab to keep Sabbath, means to let go of my treasured illusions of my indispensability. Wow. And I get it. As a wow. pastor, I get it. I know. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to feel like this thing is revolving around like, my leadership and my preaching. You, you want to feel needed, and at the same time, once you feel needed, then it's, it's emotionally claustrophobic. Th that's it's exactly right. It's a recipe right. for burnout. Do you turn your phone off on your Sabbath? I do. Um, I... It's usually, especially the first part of the Sabbath. So our Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. Yeah, give us like just a pragmatic, I know there's not a right way to Sabbath, yeah. but a, a lot of people love the idea of Sabbath, mm -hmm. which is different than the practice of Sabbath. And, yeah. and that's going to vary based on your stage of life. Do you live out in the country or in Queens in an apartment or, you know? That's exactly Walk right. us through your... So Sabbath I'd say uh, our Sabbath begins 6 p.m. Friday night mm -hmm. to 6 p.m. Saturday night. Yeah, same here. And uh, what usually goes into it is just preparing for the Sabbath, which is one of the most underrated aspects of actually keeping Sabbath Heck well. Yes. Well, the Jews <laughs> called it the preparation day. The, yeah, yes. Friday was the preparation yes, day. Yes, which yeah. is why in Manhattan on 34th Street, there's a uh, electronic store, which is second to Amazon in sales, uh, called B&H. And B&H... They close their shop at noon on Fridays and they keep Sabbath on 6 p.m., you know. But that six hours is to prep for Sabbath? That's to prep. Yeah, that's about what it takes. They're about prepping. four to six hours to get ready to rest. It's so, no small thing. So grocery shopping, laundry, preparing meals, whatever it is, uh, it takes work, which I recognize for some professions is pretty difficult to yep. do. Uh, and so we have to work our way around it. But the principle remains. In order to keep Sabbath well, you got to put some good thought into yes. it. Um, some of the worst Sabbaths for us and our family have been five minutes before Sabbath begins, we go, and what are we going to do? Or what are yes. we going to eat? And then now the first 10 minutes of Sabbath after we've lit the candle is stress. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> And all the things awful. you forgot to do. And oh, I need to text this person. And I forgot right. to answer that email. Right. And oh, right. dang, we're out of this. Right. We need to go get it. So preparing for it, then 6 p.m. comes. We usually light a candle on our dining room table as a yeah. reminder of God's presence. Uh, we usually pray out of Psalm 92, a Sabbath psalm, mm -hmm. or read a prayer, or just pray, you know, have one of my kids pray a prayer. Um, and your kids are? 12 and 7. Yes. So our kids have grown up with this Sabbath culture. Yeah. Uh, we incentivized it early on. So for folks who have young kids trying to figure out, how do I get my kids to uh, enjoy this? Right. I mean, Fridays for us meant ice cream, Yes. Extra ice cream. Pleasure so, stacking. Pl so you know? delight. Yes. And so I remember my- We had a special box of toys when they were really little. Because you know, when you're, yeah. it's hard to relax when you have little kids. 
but you know, if you give a kid like a new toy, like you get 45 minutes yeah, on the oh, couch. Yeah, yeah. So we had like a box of toys <laughs> that they could only play with on the Sabbath. So we'd bring it out and we got like an hour and 10 minutes yes. to just out yeah. on the couch. These are the tips. Man. These, <laughs> that's the pro tip. Any of you parents with young kids. Get a just, toy. It's worth it. You're welcome. <laughs> and so Aisha, I, I never forgot my daughter came out kindergarten one Friday and she said, Daddy, do you know what today is? And I said, it's, it's Friday. She said, no, it's the Sabbath. We're going to get some ice cream right now. She was absolutely yes. right. So her association with Sabbath and my son's association with Sabbath is delight, yes. joy. Now, the problem is my son only thinks that it's ice cream. So I'm trying to like <laughs> infuse some theological. It's more than just sugar. Gotta this is a day well, with God. Son. I know. So he can't get a second massive cup. He goes, what is, he goes but it's the Sabbath. And I'm thinking, all right, I got some, we got some theological work to do yes. here, sons. <laughs> but that's, and, and on that day here, the, you know, Pete, my predecessor, Pete Scazzaro, kind of laid out a nice framework of stopping, resting, delighting, contemplating. And that's what we, you know, what does it mean to stop? So I, I take off, I deactivate my email on my phone. I would often take down a social media apps on my phone. Just, I don't even want to think about anything that remotely looks like work. Uh, I'm stopping, I'm resting. You know, what's the self-care? What, what do I need to, what replenishes me? Um, uh, then there's delight, which is, I think, on, honestly, the hardest part of the Sabbath. Uh, how do I cultivate joy? Uh, and the reality is the older people get, the more delight deficient they become. Yeah. And the world is all around us cultivating rage Absolutely. and fear. Absolutely. Not and, joy and, and so delight. Joy is a countercultural move. 100%. It, it will not just fall on your head. It's a, con what did Foster say? It's a consciously chosen way of mm. thinking and living. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. said that before social media, <laughs> you know? How, how much, much more how now much that we more so use that nice biblical now. refrain there? Um, and then content, you know, how, how am I, you know, Peterson talked about playing and praying. Yeah. You know, if we want to sum up Sabbath. Um, and yeah, and then 24 hours pass and sometimes it goes great. Then you have small kids. Sometimes I go, what was that? Yep. Or in my case, you have teenagers. Teenagers. And you're like, what was that? <laughs> my but kids don't all of a sudden turn into angels because of Sabbath. Songs. One of the um, one of my favorite books on formation is Robert Mulholland, who's dead now. His yeah. book, Invitation to a Journey. Yes. Which, if you're listening, is one of the best kind of all in one place, Fantastic not very book. long books on spiritual formation. Yeah. It's not a deep dive like a Willard or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the beginning of his book. He just has a whole section on how you're not in control of your spiritual formation yeah. and how if you approach spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation, which are not the same thing, yeah. but they go together, yeah. if you approach them in an attempt to engineer an outcome, mm. you're actually just trying to control, it. then it becomes project self, which mm -hmm. is the whole point of spiritual formation is to get you off of project yes. self yes. and to get you free of project self. Yes. And self-will is at the core of whatever is wrong with the human condition. Yes. And so he has this great thing on how spiritual disciplines or practices, such as Sabbath, you're not there to engineer an outcome. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, it's not bad to go into Sabbath hoping that you come out feeling rested and happy and have a good, meaningful connection with God and your family and your yes. own soul. But you're not in control of that. Yeah. And so we'll often begin by just saying, God, we give you these next 24 hours. Like, for you to do whatever you are, want to yeah, with. Yeah. And we know we're not in control. Yeah. We give you our body. We give you our mind. We give you our rest. We give you this meal. We give you our mm -hmm. family. 
We give you our spiritual life. Like, I, I am no longer going to, I'm not going to obsess over whether I'm growing or not. Whether right. I'm whether I'm Or growing, growing in the right direction or at the, the right, right speed. That's right. That's right. It, there's, a, there's a forgetfulness yes. to, to the spiritual disciplines. You know, when Jesus talks about not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Yes. Now Bonhoeffer would talk about this, uh, this, this holy unawareness. Mm. I don't. I don't even no. desire to know. Yes, I'm just here to do it. Lord, deliver Mul me. From Mulholland it. would say that God is often targeting the areas of our formation that we don't want Him to target. That's right. So there might be some area where, like, God, I really want you to fix this in me. Right. And He's not. Right. And there's another area where He's. We're like, God, I want you kind of to stay away <laughs> from this money. I, I'm. My money's fine. I'm yeah. fine with my money. Right. I'm great with my relationship. But, but that's actually what He's targeting, right. or it, it could be any number right. of things, right. you know. But. I feel like Sabbath is such, uh, you know, I think one of the great, this is a overgeneralization, but one good loving critique of the Western church is it's too much in its head. Mm -hmm. And we're both, you know, thoughtful people. We mm. love the life of the mind. So it's not disparage. It's not an anti-intellectual comment, mm -hmm. but we're embodied creatures. Mm -hmm. We're not just a brain. On, we're not Descartian. I think therefore yeah. I am brain yeah. on legs, you know? And so Sabbath is a great embodied way to put your money where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. And literally surrender your life to God. Yes. And just say, God, I give you this whole one in seven, this whole day. Yes, just that's right. I surrender all. You know, and it's, I mean, usually I would reserve this for Lent uh, because it's a little bit more, you know, but Sabbath is it, our anticipation of our death. It's, wow. it's, there's going to come a day where all work will cease. I can't, I'm not going to send an email. I'm not going to make the meeting. I'm not going to preach the sermon. I'm dead, man. <laughs> so, so it's practicing dying, it's practicing as Eugene Peterson dying. used to Absolutely say. Absolutely right. So that's, um, it's not just delight, it's death. <laughs> you know, I had this great conversation with my kids. I was doing some research a while back and I found out, you know, like the skull and crossbones, not like the Pirates of the Caribbean, but like the punk rock mm -hmm. one, you know? I've always thought of that as like a very kind of, I don't know, some kind of dark, goth, punk rock genre of American culture. I didn't realize that the skull, like artistic motif, was started by the monks. And if you look at old Christian art, if there's a piece, a picture of a famous monk, they will often have a skull on their table where they would pray. Huh. And it wasn't like a plastic one they got off Amazon. <laughs> it, they got that from a formerly alive monk who is now dead. Brother John. Brother know? John. That's like Brother John, who's on the desk now. And it sounds grotesque, but they, in a lot of the monastic tradition, they would take a skull of one of the monks that had died in the monastery. They would put it on their, their desk or wherever they would pray. They would set it there next to the candle to keep their death before them, to realize, I am going to die. You know, in the Benedictine tradition, there's a Benedictine. Do you ever come visit us in Portland? It's a great, beautiful Benedictine monastery mm. about an hour outside of town that I frequent. And, you know, there's a cemetery between whatever they call the where the monks live and the cafeteria that they walk past. Mm. And they will always keep whatever the next grave is will be pre-dug and open. So they, monks walk past this grave every day knowing I could be next. Yes. I could be next. Yes. And that sounds like really masochistic. <laughs> but if you get inside the Christian worldview mm -hmm. where death is not the end, yeah. it's actually like practicing dying yes. is central yeah. to actually living in reality. Yeah. yeah. You know? This is Psalm 90. Which, so I've never connected the, Sabbath to that. Yeah. So. Which in the Benedictine tradition, you know, Psalm 90 you know, the Psalm of Moses of helping us to number our days that we may grow in, in wisdom. 
I mean, that's, that's Benedictine. Yes. I am, death is before me. 70, 80 years at most, yep. then we die. And now, how do I keep this before me? That's Sabbath wisdom there. It's how do I live in the present moment? How do I cultivate joy? How do I love well? And the Sabbath is a means to that end. Yeah, beautiful. Another, you know, practice that I know is the theme of your life, your rule of life, your preaching and teaching is not just Sabbath, but is prayer yeah. and specifically like the contemplative mm-hmm. wing of prayer or aspect of prayer. Yeah. Talk us through what that is like and how, what does that do to inform your life in Queens and pastoral work? Yeah, you know, prayer, it's so many ways to pray. And, you know, I've, I've been taught all the various models and acronyms and I think there are, there's places for all of that there. Uh, I believe in intercession. I believe in you know offering our petitions before God, lifting mind and heart before God. Uh, but contemplative prayer, uh, personally, is my go-to approach to prayer. And I think part of it is I want to relate to the living God beyond transactionalism. Hmm. And much of prayer is just oriented around transactionalism. I pray a certain way for a cert- with a certain level of intensity for a certain amount of time and God will deliver To get on, a certain result. To get a certain result. That's why I'm here. And that result could be an answer to prayer. I feel better. Yeah. yeah, not bad things. Good things. But- and so, I, so again, I, I preface it by say, I believe there are times, and we read the Psalms, and there's time to cry out before God. Yes. Lord, I need you to respond here. And I've done it. But if that's the only way that I'm praying, hmm. I think we're missing out. And I think a lot of people, when they hear the word prayer, that's all they that's think That's what of. they think. As opposed to prayer as the practice of sharing presence. Hmm. So contemplative prayer is my way of saying, I want to be present to God's presence without needing anything, without desiring anything except a greater attentiveness to God's presence. And so the vast majority of my prayer time, and I don't know if this is, <laughs> I don't know if this is biblical, but even my intercession, <laughs> <laughs> I hold my intercession in silence before God, and then I'll journal some stuff there. But when I think about what's happening in the, in the CPR world, I know, it's like, some, I can't even don't speak even know sometimes. How- I know it was, I don't know if that's biblical either, but I remember reading that from Ruth Haley Barton, who said intercession is silently holding yeah, the pain of the world beautiful. before God in your mind. I'm like, I don't know if that's right, but I really like I that. I don't know. And, and you're Ruth Haley Barton, so. And, and I'm less exhausted at the end me. of it, too, you know? Yes. So, I, so I'm, I'm holding the world before there, God. There is something to that Romans, like, groans, that, yeah. that the spirit of God groaning yeah. through you in, in, in a way that words cannot express. Yeah. yeah. And you're not saying don't pray with words. Absolutely. No. Absolutely not. It's often, though, for me, my words emerge after I've spent a lot of time in silence. Yeah. And now, and now there's a weightiness to my words. I think, I think um, uh, much of our, the words that we speak before God or preach, you know, Thomas Merton talks about preaching should be born of silence where it's not worth anything at all. Yes. You know, I mean, this is... I, I want to speak in such a way that I've been with the living God and my words are now coming out of that level of communion and yes. relationship with God. What's that famous saying? Um, 
from the Church Fathers, speech is the organ of the present world, but silence is the language of the age mm. to come. Yeah, beautiful. You know, you're tapping into something yes. ahead of us. Yes, yes. And so for me, <clears throat> silence becomes a means of not just communion with God, sharing presence with God, but it becomes a way to train my soul to be present to my neighbor, to be present to the person I disagree with, to be present with those who trigger me. Because in silence, we're, in contemplative prayer, the goal is not trying to get anything, not even good feelings. And they might come and the Holy Spirit might come and man, you feel God's presence, and, but that's not the goal. And if it comes, it comes. You know, Brendan Manning talked about you know, do I worship God or do I worship my experience of God? It's, I mean, it's a great question that we need to come every Sunday yes. into our churches with and to our prayer times with. And how do I know I'm worshiping my experiences? Well, when I don't feel good anymore, I stop coming. That's how I know I'm worshiping my experience. Yeah. When I don't God. enjoy prayer anymore, I stop praying. I, I'm, I don't, when I'm not I don't like up anymore. reading scripture anymore, I stop reading. That's exactly right. And so prayer is a means of training the soul to be with God so as to be with someone else and to love mm. a person. Um, so are you, saying, are you saying that in disciplining, if you want to use that word, or training yeah. yourself to pay attention to God, you are simultaneously learning to pay attention to other people, yeah. and I would imagine even to pay attention to your own My own soul, soul. absolutely. There is that kind of... Yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm attentive to God, I'm, a, I'm attentive to my own soul, and I'm attentive to my neighbor, that when I step out of the time in prayer, I want to see them and, and be present to their presence. Yeah. And I need training for that. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in a distracted and distracted oh, world. yeah, harder than ever. I it was mean, hard for the monks a thousand years it, ago. Yes, it was. They it had to like go to a monastery, <laughs> and that was like... <laughs> and so now it's even more, uh, and... And by no means am I doing this. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> um, but, but, the, but contemplative prayer, I don't know if there's a, probably a better word for this. It haunts me throughout the day. Hmm. And it's, it's always there, be present. Yeah. It's, and I, I, I might mess it up with my kids and my kids say, you know, put the phone down or whatever it is. But it's, it's so deep in my soul because I've been practicing this for so many yes. years that... I want to be present. Have you read anything by uh, Albert Borgman? Or um, he was a philosopher of media, which I didn't even know that was a thing. He's, I believe he's passed away now from, I think, the University of Montana. And he wrote a lot about the effect of media on kind of Western culture yeah. and reshaping the family. Reshaping. The name came out. I, I, I read a book called Focal Practices. Yes. Yes. That's what, I, that's yes. what I'm gearing yes, to. Yes, yes. So, you know, he has this way that the way that we resist the, the distraction of our age is through what he calls focal practices, mm -hmm. which is, are anything that kind of require you to be fully present to whatever that practice is. So it could be uh, reading poetry, it could be gardening, it could yeah. be walking your dog, it could be making love to your spouse, it yeah. could be cooking soup. But spiritual disciplines are focal practices. Right. And I think they're mutually, like I actually have a few other non-quote spiritual focal practices that I regularly do, such as reading literature before bed, in an attempt to just build that mm -hmm. muscle memory into my nervous system yeah. so that when I go to pray the next morning, 
my brain has like <laughs> calmed and you know what I mean at some level right. and clarified at a certain level that I have the capacity. And so I think, you know, we can't bifurcate our relationship with our phone from our prayer life. If yes. we're constantly just feeding our brain dopamine hits, yes. then we go to pray and it feels like crickets because we've literally trained our brain to experience God's absence. Right. And so you have to retrain your brain at a, at a holistic level. But, but prayer is like the ultimate focal practice. Yes. And spiritual disciplines in general are focal mm-hmm. practices, such as reading scripture or community or Sabbath, mm-hmm. the Lord's Supper. But prayer, I mean, that's the ultimate yeah. focal practice. Yeah, it is. It's, I mean, you know, Jesus talked about purity of heart. Kierkegaard would talk about it in the, in the sense of it's to will one thing. That's purity yeah. of heart. And at focal practice, I want to will one thing right now, attentiveness to God's presence. Okay, so let's get real here. Pastor me for a second, Pastor Rich. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm sold. I've bought the ticket to contemplative prayer. I love it. I yeah. love sitting in God every, with God every morning in silence. And to will the one thing, beautiful. So well said. A lot of my actual experience is yes. I'm sitting there and my mind is like, <laughs> like all over squirrel, 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 yeah, you yeah. know, and it's like, come back and pay attention to God, and I love God, and I love Lectio Divina, all the things, but a lot of the actual experience is my is just distraction. Yeah. Any wisdom for that, or do you experience that at all, or is it just like, no, you, you drop in, and it's just pure union with God? I wish. I, I mean, every master of prayer, this is what every master, of, so-called master of prayer. Yeah, which I don't think there is such a thing. No, but, yeah. but they've all said the same thing. We're always beginners. Yes, and so every time yeah, I come Teresa to pray, said that. Yeah, yeah. Karl Barth said it, yes. Luther said it. I mean, all the, I mean, I'm always a beginner in prayer. And so whenever I come and sit down, it feels like I'm doing it for the first time, which means the ways that I've tried to theologically and formationally enter into that space is, okay, there are three things that I, very practically I need to learn how to do. Number one, just be friend, make friends with silence, befriend silence. Hmm. Get, get comfortable. Get comfortable. Because a lot of people are not. Yeah, yeah. They instantly have to have noise, distraction, people. That's right. You walk into your connection. empty apartment, the first thing you do is turn on the TV or whatever it is. Because yep. you, so how do you we get make, a break, you immediately pull out your phone. That's right. So befriending silence is one. Second is normalizing boredom. And by that, I basically mean that prayer, prayer is uneventful. You know, I... When I pray, this kind of contemplative prayer, not now. So angels aren't singing over your shoulder. There's when you just get up in the half morning, the time I'm wondering. Over your heart coffee. <laughs> Is that just me? <laughs> here's the joy. That's just you, man. Uh, here's the joy. I, I remember going to a Benedictine monastery, Trappist Monastery in Boston, which I'd go every year and met with the head of the monastery. And he talked about 3 a.m. in the morning. Is a, it can get old sometimes, just waking up to pray. They get up at three in the morning. I don't know if Jesus is up at that time, but they're up at that time. Uh, and the idea of reframing distractions. And so, first of all, normalizing boredom. It's uneventful. I don't, I don't feel much. I mean, and again, God might surprise me with the sense of God's presence and his joy, but I, I, I usually don't feel much. And the third thing is just reframing distractions. Hmm. And this is how I've heard it said. If your mind gets distracted a hundred times in 10 minutes of prayer, it's a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus. Hmm. And when it's framed in that way, it's like, how beautiful. Like I used to think that to be distracted in prayer meant I was a bad Christian. Yes, or I'm bad at prayer. Bad at prayer. As if it's something we perform or... It turns out, 
distractions means I'm a human being. <laughs> That's all it means. My mind is distracted. But I get a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus. Come back to his great wealth. And so come back. So, and I mean, John Mark, I mean, when I sit down to pray for five minutes, 10 minutes, there, there have been a handful of times when a spiritual director challenged me to do 30 minutes of just contemplative prayer. I thought I was going to die in the process. I don't know if I'm going to survive this thing. But when I've done that, I've been so, within the prayer time, discouraged of how many thoughts are coming to the surface and the imaginary conversations I'm having with people. If he says this to me, I'll say that to him. And if I get that email from oh, that person, yes. I'll say that. You know, and just, replaying <laughs> grievances in oh, your mind. and All this stuff. It's like and, I'm a lawyer arguing <laughs> against some person. I'm like, what in the world? This is whatever this is. It's not prayer. This is not prayer. And part of me gets so would get so discouraged. Like, what am I doing? I know. And, and then go. It's like Nowen's line, monkeys in a banana tree. That's right. I've never even seen monkeys in a banana tree. But the word picture is working for me. And then go, I could really heap shame on myself and say I'm a crummy Christian. Or I could say, Lord, here I am. I'm a human. And, and, and I come back. I, I'm back, Lord. Yeah. And um, that's so reframing distractions, normalizing boredom, befriending silence, I think. Wow. What a gift. So Sabbath, um, contemplative prayer. Do you have, this is an odd question. Do you have a favorite spiritual practice or discipline? It's without question this kind of contemplative centering prayer. Yeah. Like that is, that's, it, it, you could take away a whole lot of stuff from me, but taking away this, me sitting down wherever on a, on a, on a bench on Queens Boulevard where it's cars are honking and, and I'm just sitting here because the issue is not external silence, it's the interior silence. That's the biggest issue. Yeah. But if I can just sit, if you, if you took away contemplative prayer from me, um, I don't know what I would do. So that's my, that's my go-to. Yeah, anchor point. Anchor point. This is what keeps me rooted in Jesus and his love. And I think what God has used to train me and rewire my brain in the process, you know, yeah. um, to love well and to be present to my neighbor. What's really interesting to me about you is that you live, you eat, sleep, breathe in this emotionally healthy spirituality space of, you know, whatever you want to call that, formation, contemplative tradition, all of these practices for slowing down. I think yeah. Pete calls it a slow down spirituality. Yeah. I love that language. Pace of life. But yet you're the lead pastor of a church. That's not a easy, uh, that's not a slow down kind of job. That's like a busy job. Mm -hmm. It's a generalist job, not a specialist job. Lots of different pots in the fire. You're constantly kind of dealing with drama, a lot of it's problem solving of yeah. this crisis, that crisis, this crisis, people, you're serving people, you know? And you're a very active church, you do a lot of work in the justice space, not yep. just racial justice space, but mm -hmm. justice and in the holistic sense. And uh, a lot of people would say, you have to pick one or the other, either a contemplative life or, so I'm hearing Merton in my mind, and I have mixed feelings about Merton, but yeah. He's so dang quotable. I can't, I can't get away from him. But he had that great insight that the, the opposite of a contemplative life isn't an active life. It's a reactive life. Mm. And uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom yeah. in that kind of yeah. framing. So in your mind, it is, and this is a leading question, but is the emotionally healthy spirituality your slow down life? Is that actually like some kind of a, 
a foundation that you're able to do all the other stuff off of from a different posture and place? Or is it just like two things you're into? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think... It's a bit of a leading question, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it is exactly that. I mean, it's, for me, it's I'm working from a particular place. Yes. I'm offering leadership from a particular place. And that's place. what I'm wanting to suss out is like to the people that would say, I don't want to do that stuff because I care about justice. Yeah. Or I care about the church. Or I care about mission. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I'm training people. I'm preaching. I'm writing articles. I'm writing books. Uh, I mean, we're, we're deeply involved in all kinds of missional work in our community. So uh, I get one Sabbath a week. I don't get like five Sabbaths. I get one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like one day, but I have six days where I'm laboring. I'm working, man. Uh, and so, but I, I do think the, the rhythms of Sabbath, of prayer, which contemplative prayer feels like a mini Sabbath for the soul. Right. I, I am I'm working from that place. And it sounds, you know what it sounds? It sounds like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jesus has this life where he's preaching, he's casting out demons, he's, he's healing, he's healing, he's, and then he's like, all right, I'm I'll out. be back. And and part yeah, there's of, this back and forth. This back and forth. He goes up the mountain, he comes down the mountain. He goes up the mountain. And so I think that's the spiritual life. Yeah. Far too many of us are living at at the foot of the mountain and not going going up. Some of us are going up and not coming back down. And so how do we have this this dialectic, this I'm yes. holding this together of I'm go, I, I go up for the yeah. sake of coming down of and I come down for the sake of pushing me to go back up. It's not even so much balance as it is like back That's and right. forth. That's Deep right. Deep engagement followed by a quiet retreat. That's exactly. And we see that in Jesus yeah. uh, profoundly. And Jesus embracing limits. Uh, I have to go here. I have to preach over there. He's tired. He's going to step away. There's still other people who need to be healed and he still steps away. I mean... I, I, we find this rhythm in Jesus, and I don't think Christians have to look far. Yeah. For we, we don't have to look at recent contemplatives. <laughs> we don't have to look at Merton's, and Merton was, you know, he was a monk, so he was not as not engaged in the world. Although he spoke to many things in the world, we look to our Lord. Yeah. Who embodied all of this in the Gospels? Um, so if people are wondering where to go for this, <laughs> you go to Jesus. You go to Jesus. <laughs> That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now you're talking a lot about rhythms. You know, one way of talking about rhythms is through the rubric of a rule of life. Mm -hmm. And you're one of the only other churches I know of, I'm sure there are many more, but that have, you're actually ahead of the church I'm a part of toward kind of implementing a rule of life in your church as part of what it means to be part of your church. We've yeah. spent years at Bridgetown working on a rule of life, working it out with our leaders in my own life, teaching on spiritual practices that yeah. make up a rule of life kind of like introducing one and now kind of moving into a new era where, you know, to be a part of our church will be to yeah. um, kind of say yes to this rule of life in community. And yeah. so, you know, I've been kind of wondering if what membership was to the church under Christendom, a rule of life will be at some level mm -hmm. to the church going forward into this kind of fragmenting and fracturing kind of cultural, yeah. you know, moment that crisis that we're in. So talk to us about your church. Your, what, what, what is a rule of life for those that are listening? And then what does that look like for you? I and mean, how is that connected to what it means to be a part of your community? Yeah. So a rule, for those who are unfamiliar, it's not rules. Yep. Uh, it's not Singular. like a bunch of half-to-dos and what have you. It's, it's, it's a structure. It's a trellis. 
it's, it's a framework that a community is oriented around, mm-hmm. particular commitments, particular rhythm rhythms, kind of relationships, yep. that we're saying we are, in the name of Jesus, coming under this particular way of following him yep. together. This is how we follow this Jesus is how, together as a community. And every community might have a different rule, different areas of emphasis. I yep. think every, every community has a particular grace, a charism, an anointing. A context. A context. And so for us, we moved to a rule of life in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I remember it because that's when I was in the process of being interviewed to come on staff at New Life. Wow. And so my first meeting at New Life was our annual meeting in which my predecessor, Pete, said, we're moving to a rule of life, you know? And he had come out of a <laughs> And everybody said, everybody said, what's a rule of life? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and who are you to tell me to Sabbath? <laughs> So I never forgot saying, these are our, you know, commitments. And it was oriented around prayer, rest, relationships, work. Yeah. Um, and so that, that became our framework for the Those rule. four categories. Prayer, those four, those four rest, categories. relationships, work. Work, yeah. And so these are the relationships. These are the commitments. These are the rhythms that to be part of this community. Now, here's the thing. There are a number of people who already said, I'm, I'm part of New Life. So we're not kicking people out who are saying, all right, whether you want to do this or not. But yes. it was clear that moving forward to be part of this community meant you're not just going to take a two-week member course and here's some theological, what we believe, and here's our statement of faith, and, and here's a Bible passage. Don't forget to give money to this congregation. You know, it's like yep. that's not what we're going to do. We're saying to be part of this community, we are inviting you into an intentional way of following Jesus in this context. Now, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. Keep coming. We'd love you. But you're not, and and I know people have language about membership, but the way I'm using membership is more of I'm rooted in this community. Yeah, I'm at the core. I'm at the core here. I'm giving myself to something. And if I cannot do that, so I mean, so we're, we're very clear about our expectation. And so this, this is really patterned out of the monastic tradition, where to be a monk, I mean, you're not just filling out an application. Yeah, you and, didn't just join because you like the <laughs> abbot's sermons, you know? You're coming because you're saying, I want to surrender my life to Christ and follow, the commu- follow Christ in this particular And the community, community. is praying at 3 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever. that's what we're doing. Not all monks, but, <laughs> you know, and the community is yes. doing this and doing this then. Yes, and so we hold it not with this legalistic, you know, you better do it or else right. we're revoking your card here. But we're saying... And this isn't a merit-based thing. You're not, not saying, oh, we follow this in order to earn no, God's at all. Not at all. But we're saying we take discipleship seriously. And it's intentional. It's intentional. And we want you to say yes. And we think it's worth it. Yes. And this is going to change your life. And your life is going to be deepened in Christ. And if you can't do it, there's no shame. There's no... Yep you know what, next year might be better for you. Right. Or maybe the year after. That's all good. Keep coming. We love you. But if you want to be rooted here, this is what we're inviting you into. And some of those things are Sabbath. Some of those things are commitments to prayer and rhythms of prayer. And is everyone doing it perfectly? Of course not. No. But we're very clear up front that to be part of our community, I, 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 I'm telling you, I should get a, I've been saying this the last five years. We should get a sign in the front of our building that says, enter at your own risk. That kind of like, to be part of this community, we're gonna invite you to go places. 
wrestle with questions that you typically would not wrestle with, enter at your own risk. I'm telling you, I need to put that in the front of in my- that front. <laughs> Disclaimer, like warn people off warn before they- Warn people, <laughs> like to be part of this community here. Yeah. We're, we're, we're taking up our cross. We're not just here for kids ministry and a good sermon. Yeah. We're here to follow Jesus. And if that means that people are not coming in by the droves, New Life over the years has never like shot up in attendance. Yeah, We've always kind of very steady, 35 yeah, years old. This is not a church growth this strategy. This is not a church growth strategy. <laughs> this is I'm a strategy to take following Jesus seriously. Yeah, it's a pruning strategy. It's, a prune, it's exactly what it is. And so some folks say, you know what, this is not. And, yeah. and layer, layer on top of that, the diversity that we have, you know, a, a, this is not the homogeneous unit principle. We're not growing because we have a bunch of people who like being around yes. people with shared interests. And they're all into soccer on yeah. Saturday morning. This is a whole other layer here of yeah. complexity. But we're saying... But what's unifying you together across that spectrum of diversity correct. is we're following Jesus together in this intentional way. That's right. That's exactly right. That's often how I think about discipleship. Is like The question is, how do we design a life architecture that's based on that of Jesus himself that um, is built in such a way that it naturally facilitates yeah. deep inner healing yeah. and formation and change and growth yeah. and maturation into the image of yeah. Jesus. Yes. And sometimes when I teach on a rule of life, I will lovingly chide people and just say, you know, you may hate this idea. This may sound like really goofy language to you. The word rule is you know, likely a turn off to you, but you already have a rule of life. That's right. Even if you don't, even if you've never heard that phrase before, it's true. and you don't like this idea, you already have one. You already likely have some version of a morning routine, mm -hmm. even if that's like I wake up in the morning and I check Instagram or I text yep. my so-and-so yep. back or whatever. You likely have some kind of an evening routine, even if it's just I watch whatever's on Netflix. That's that's a rule. That's, that's part a, of the rule. You, know? <laughs> you likely have something you do on the weekend. You have activities or hobbies you're into. You likely have some relationships that you intentionally mm -hmm pursue, you likely have a budget or at least a way that you spend your money until it's gone. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. you, you, you have a rule of life. It's already there. The question is not, do you have a rule? It's, do you know what it is? Yeah. And what is it forming in you? That's right. Because it's forming something in you. That's right. And it could be forming anxiety in you mm -hmm. and overload and stress. It could be forming shallow, superficial relationships. It could be forming anger. It could be forming comparison. It could be forming yeah. burnout. It could be forming alienation from God. It could mm -hmm. be forming distance from your own soul, your own marriage. It could be forming anything. Yes. Greed. Um, so the, you have one. You have one, yes. So Jesus, you know, when, when we're asking people to adopt a rule of life, we're not asking them to do something they're not already doing. Yeah. We're asking them to do what they're already doing <laughs> differently, you know, and yeah. to index their life in such a way that really they are being formed into the image of yes. Jesus. N not in a control-based way, just in a rule of life is just Sabbath more. Yes. Like, yes. God, here are these practices. Yep. Here's our life. Here's yep. our budget. Here's our schedule. Here's yep. our relationships. We're, this is, we're not in control of this. That's right. We abandon outcomes here. Yes. And I know, here's what, when I know it's making progress in someone is when I hear the language, this is my 
church's rule of life, or these are my church's values, to these are my values. That's yeah. when I know a shift is taking place. Yes, this is not a, yeah. yeah. This is the, the rule of life of the church that I attend, as opposed to... Somehow the culture of the kingdom <laughs> is getting into right. somebody. That's right. This is mine. Through a way of living in community together. That's absolutely right. Um, any recommendations on resources for people that want to pursue more of a rule of life? Do you have anything on your own church website or... On our church website, if folks went to newlife.nyc, a number of resources related to the rule of life. Of course, Pete Scazzaro's written a lot and done a yes. lot about uh, a rule of life. Um, Ken Shigematsu, who's a um, Japanese-Canadian pastor, wrote a book called God in My Everything. Ken's a great friend and has... It's a book on the rule of life, which is phenomenal. Okay. Um, I've not read that. Thank you. It's phenomenal. Uh, and... Um, I know Stephen Machia has written yep. stuff as well. And he has a workbook. Workbook on rule We of have life. one at practicingtheway.org. I think it's slash unhurry, where we have a series on rule of life. And yeah. there's a workbook that we put yeah. together. And there are ways to flesh. I mean. There's no right way to do no. it. No. And it could be, it's, this is my marriage rule of life or my family rule of life. Yeah, we have a digital rule of life that actually is a list of rules. Yeah, right. <laughs> In my case, it's like this one-page paper for our family yeah. of like yeah. phones to bed at 8.30, yeah. not by, we have a list of just kind of yeah. boundaries. We have yeah. a pastoral rule of life. So our pastors who come on staff say, this is, and I review it with them once or twice a year. Yes. This is what we're called to. Because how quickly we drift from what <laughs> our deepest heart actually right. is after. That's exactly yeah. right. So that language is pervasive around yeah. new life of how are we intentionally, consciously seeking to follow Jesus in this context in Queens. Yeah, and if that language is a turn off to those of you listening, I was chatting with a, a bit of a amateur church historian recently, and he made the case that prior to Benedict, way of life and rule of life were used interchangeably. Mm. And way of life is more the New Testament language, yeah, you know. Yeah. So really, it, it's a it's a rule of life. It's a way of life. Um, I wonder if rhythm is an, is a better word because it's just not emotionally loaded for people. Yep. This is our rhythm of life. Yep. You know. And just so you know, new, we've in the thirteen years since we uh, initiated this rule, we've gone through all those words, all those words, <laughs> and you've come back to we've come back the ancient. Because I don't like the rule. Can we do uh, way? Yeah. We changed it. All right, new posters. Way. <laughs> We're back to rule, so we'll see where it goes. It is what it is, great. All right, let's land the plane here. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing that you pray in the morning, is that right, wrong? Yep, yep. Walk us through, for somebody listening who wants to start um, to take some small steps yeah. toward a life of contemplative prayer, yeah. a life of getting comfortable, befriending silence, as mm -hmm. you said. Mm -hmm. Um, what what do you recommend? Is there a, I know there's not a formula here. Yeah. There's not a to-do list. It's the opposite of that. But is there some kind of a framework that you structure your morning prayer time with or your daily prayer time with that somebody could maybe yeah. adopt <laughs> as is fitting for their personality? I, I, as a pastor, I get this question a lot from folks who... Ha, teach me to pray. Has never, okay, pastor, what... Is the New Testament which, which, question. How do you is, pray? Which is... The disciples never asked them to preach, teach us yeah. to preach. I mean, I think there's something there. The only question they asked Jesus is to pray. And I think, what a great question. So for me, um, for those people who are time conscious, got to go to work, kids have to go to school, how am I going to fit this all in there? I'd say, number one, set your timer for 10 minutes. Let's start there. You know, when someone comes up to me and says, Pastor Rich, I wish I can tithe 10% of my income but I can't. Some pastors would say, get out of the church. My next question is, 
Well, what can you start with? 1%? 2%? Start somewhere and work your way up to yeah. practicing generosity. Start where you should be, so, or where you are, not yeah, where you should yeah. be. Yeah, so same thing with prayer. Set your timer on your phone for 10 minutes. And in that time, this is what I would say. I would say, um, uh, put your feet planted to the ground, open your hands, take a deep breath in, maybe have an anchor prayer that just whenever you get distracted, not if, when you get distracted. Yeah. And for me, I'll tell you, Jesus, here I am. Hmm. That's, that's my prayer yeah. every single every day. Morning. Jesus, here I am. Because Lord, I find myself over there, over there. Jesus, here I am. And so when, I mind, when my mind thinks about how terrible my New York sports teams are, Jesus, here I am. When I think about <laughs> the elder meeting I have to head into in a couple of days, Jesus, Jesus, here, here I am. <laughs> when I think about, oh, my wife and I have some tension, got to work to Jesus, here I am. And so have that phrase. Some people have used Abba, Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus. So have that phrase. Almost just to come back. Just to come back. You're coming home. For not if, but when, when your mind wanders. It's, it's I'm coming home. It's, it's the key to come back home. Yeah. And do that for, you know, Three minutes, whatever you're, whatever you can take. Yes. Some people might be one, might be three, might be five, and then after that, I would start praying the Psalms. I'd not say, reading. Not the reading Psalms. the Psalms. Praying. Praying the Psalms. The Psalms. Now, we're not. The goal is not just to get through the material. The the goal is to get this material in me. It's I have to. I'm praying it, and and for those, I mean, start with Psalm one. Pray it out. Let, you know, sometimes we need other people's words to help us form our own words. And after we pray a psalm or so, I would encourage someone to maybe have a journal and lift mind and heart to God. Yeah. Lord, this is what Meaning, I'm afraid. This, this is what I'm thinking this is, about. Lord, this, 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 is what this, is what, this is what I'm anxious about. This is what I'm sad about. This is what I'm angry about. This is what I'm actually really glad about. And begin to now express. And then when the timer goes off, this is, I always end my own time of prayer praying the Our Father, contemplatively, slowly. It's the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. And then I get up with these words. I say, Lord, help me to be present to you, present to myself, and present to my neighbors, beginning with my first neighbors, my wife and my children. Amen. And I get it from that point. So you can get that done in 10 minutes. Yes. But this is what people are going to discover. If you start committing yourself to this, 10 minutes is way too little. And you'll want more. Your soul will start you'll crying You'll be out. sad when that timer goes That's off. That's exactly right. Yeah. But which, and it might there. take a while. It might take a while. And don't feel judgment if you know, oh, yep. I'm, I'm pretty content I'm with bored out of my mind <laughs> and like angsty and ready to get going. Start, start with where you are yeah. and let the Holy Spirit begin to take you into new levels of relationship with Jesus. Rich, that is so pastoral. It's so helpful. You are such a gift, man. I don't want to fanboy out, but I <laughs> love you as a brother and champion your work and uh, pray that everybody would read The Deeply Formed Life. And Thank you so much for the gift you thank are. You. Bless you, man. And let's do this again soon. We'd love to do that. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Again, my book, Live No Lies, is out now, available wherever books are sold. Pick it up. Also, this is a new podcast, and it's just a one kind of time deal, but if you would tell your friends about it, post something on social media, send a link to a friend, write a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice, that would be so helpful. Tons of love for you. We hope this is serving you well, and we'll be back next week with another interesting conversation. 
from Live No Lies.